Well, the title of the message this morning is a question. I'm likely, if you're here, this isn't the first time that you've been in church. This isn't the first time you've, you've heard a sermon. I imagine many of us have heard dozens, if not hundreds, of sermons at this point. But the question I want to begin with is, can you hear? Can you hear three very important words? In the year King Isaiah died, God lifted the prophet Isaiah in a vision to the holy throne room. He saw the Lord sitting high and lifted up, surrounded in praise by the angels. And in response, Isaiah cried out, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am, man of, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, Isaiah 6, 5. In a moment of clarity, Isaiah saw himself as he really was. He saw his people as they really were, and he saw God as he really is. And in response, he fell on his face before the Lord. He was humbled, and he was repentant, and he understood the wickedness of his sin. He felt fully his own depravity, and he would have gladly accepted his condemnation. But instead, he received forgiveness. An angel flew to him, and with a burning coal from the altar, touched his mouth and made him clean. His guilt was gone. His sin was atoned for. Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord, and it set him free. Do you want to be free? Can you hear? God then needed a man who understood forgiveness to go to his people preaching forgiveness. He who is forgiven much loves much. Rescued people rescue people. Amen? So who would he send? Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he said, Here I am, send me. And so God does, but Isaiah was given a tough assignment. Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. You see, God's prophet took God's word to God's people, but they are unable to hear. The greatest task of their lives is one that they fail to accomplish because they've traded the glory of man for the glory of God. They have exalted themselves above the Lord and in so doing have failed to attain what they seek. And so how many people, how many church people, people who have heard sermon upon sermon, people who know what the Bible says will ultimately exalt themselves above the Lord? How many people hear but don't hear? Isaiah's world was a world at war with God, and Jesus stepped into that very same world. God came offering peace But the Israelites of Isaiah's day and the Israelites of Jesus' day refused to accept those terms and instead they waged war. It seems much the same today that there are many who have hardened hearts. They hear but do not hear. They see yet do not see. 
And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to explore this deeper. You know, the last few weeks, we've been talking about, you know, this, this idea of deciding, of first deciding to put our trust in Jesus, not just in a one-time situation, but day by day, moment by moment. And then we talked about deciding to walk in a re- uh, repentance and obedience to him. And so this morning, we're going to delve deeper into the different kind of soils that, of our hearts that the Word can fall upon and the growth that only God can make take place. But we have to cooperate. We have to prepare the soil. We have to receive. We have to be willing to hear, like Jamie said, truth that's convicting. You know, you've heard me say before, God loves us right where we are. But He loves us so much that He doesn't want to leave us right where we are. And so this morning, we're going to delve deeper into this. At this time, our kids can be dismissed to South Coast Kids. Father, we are so grateful for all the work you're doing with the young people, the youth. God, we're so excited. We're so happy for the many teachers, leaders, uh, Father, volunteers to make that possible. Bless them. Be with them as they go and they have their church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I don't know if Ben Affleck and St. Augustine are often quoted together, but here goes. I happened upon an article the other day, and Ben Affleck was sharing about his struggles recently with his, with his marriage, his divorce, and his sobriety, and this is what he said. He said, people with compulsive behavior, and I am one, have this kind of basic discomfort all the time that they're trying to make go away. You're trying to make yourself feel better with eating or drinking or sex or gambling or shopping or whatever, but that ends up making your life worse. And so then you do more of it to make that comfort go away. And then the real pain starts and it becomes a vicious cycle that you can't break. At least that's what's happened to me. Within the same week in another interview, he elaborated further and he said this, I'd like to find some sort of sense of meaning and purpose. I was not raised religious. I'm not a very good Christian, but I go to church with my kids and I like it quite a bit. Now you see, I don't think this is just people with compulsive behavior. Sure, there are those who are prone maybe to more excess than others, but I think this sense of discomfort I think this search for meaning and purpose is tied directly to the human experience. I think it's a God-given desire for him alone. I think, in fact, it goes back to sin in the garden and the sense we all have that something is not quite right, not only all around us, but deep down inside of us as well. And that's where St. Augustine comes in. And I know we shared this quote, it seems like a few times this past year, but it's entirely relevant, incredibly insightful when he says this, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. You see, all Isaiah's hearers had to do was listen and repent, but they couldn't. All Jesus' hearers have to do is listen and repent, but most do not. And so can you hear? Last couple weeks, as we said, we talked about decisions, deciding to place your your life in Christ for salvation. Now, you know, when when you observe people who say they are Christians, 
you'll often notice that a lot of people just have mental assent that God exists. But they don't actually have faith in an almighty God. You see, mental assent or agreement with a certain set of facts looks so much like faith that many people cannot see the difference between the two. You see, mental assent is accepting intellectually the word of God is true. It's admiring it, and maybe it's even agreeing with it, but not allowing it to have an impact on you so that it doesn't do any good in your life. In essence, mental assent agrees with God, but does not believe in God. Trusting in Christ means more than believing in God or believing that Jesus is who he claimed to be. As we read in Romans 10 last week, it's a matter of the heart. It involves placing your will and your life into his care, where his will then becomes your will. Jesus did not give up his life so we could live the same way, but so we could have new lives. He invites us into an entirely new and better way to live. And we need to decide to live in repentance and obedience to him. And when we do that, when we really understand what God has done for us, our response should be, here I am, Lord, send me. And so this morning I want to talk about hearing, really hearing, and allowing the Spirit of God and the Word of God to take root in your heart and actually change you from within. And so we're going to read the parable of the sower. Because a long time ago when Jesus opened his teaching ministry, he said the word, listen. And he said it in a way that, you know, you want to get your kids to understand, listen, pay attention. Pay, listen closely to what I'm about to tell you. This is incredibly important. Jesus is demanding that we not only hear, but that we heed his words. You see, listening to the word of God is the primary task of the Christian. We are called, as we just sang, to walk side by side with him. His alone is the divine classroom. And so when God speaks, we should listen, but we must be careful how we listen. Is our listening active? And so we find this parable in the three synoptic gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we're going to read it from Mark. And you'll see here that Jesus actually quotes from the verse in Isaiah chapter 6 that we just read earlier. So if you want to turn there, Mark chapter 4. And if you find it in the church Bible, you can shout it out. Thank you, 997. It says, again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and he sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. 
and other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was alone. When he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that, and this is where he's quoting, Jesus is quoting directly from Isaiah, so that they may indeed may see but not perceive, they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away that word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the world, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. There are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in? To be put under a basket or under a bed and not understand. In other words, is light meant to be hidden or is light meant to dispel darkness? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. And then Jesus says this, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, to the disciples, pay attention to what you hear. Other translations say, listen to how you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Jesus is saying, pay attention to what you hear. Listen. Diligently attend to it. Seek to understand it. Lay it up in your minds, in your hearts, in your memories, that it may be of use to you, and that it may be useful in communicating this truth to others. Can you hear? With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This was a common proverb among the Jews. And so Jesus is saying that if the disciples carefully listen to what they have heard from him, that if they really study and they seek to understand it and they faithfully share it with others, that in return, a larger measure, a greater degree of spiritual understanding would be given to them. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Jesus is saying we must hear to understand, to keep and to make good use of what we hear. And then more will be communicated to us. That we will have an increase of knowledge and the doctrines of grace and the mysteries of the gospel. You see, too many church people hear God's word and they say, Lord, what you said is wonderful. And then they leave it at that. I can imagine God saying, thank you, I'm glad you approve, that's good, now will you please do something about it? Would you please do something with that information? A true believer is a doer of the word and not a hearer only, James 1.23. You see, a true believer builds on the rock while a mental, a center builds on sand. 
The only way God's promises become a reality in our lives is for us to act on them, and we cannot act on them without faith. As a matter of fact, the very word promise requires faith. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Can you hear? You know, I think there are two ways we should hear this parable. And one is to strongly consider how we have responded to God's word, how we've prepared our own hearts, how we receive from God, how we responded to the message of Christ. What kind of, of soil do our hearts represent? Have we allowed the things of the world to take us away, to distract us? only to find ourselves restless once again. You know, when Paul says to the Galatians, it's for freedom that Christ set you free. In other words, it's for the thing you've been looking for your whole life. For that thing, Jesus set you free. And then he says, stand firm, therefore. And don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Nothing matter. You've been let out of prison. Don't go back in your cell. But we do, because we believe the enemy. We believe the lie of the enemy that somehow God is going to withdraw good things from us. If I allowed my child to die so you could live, would you question my love for you? And yet we do that to God. Another way to consider this parable is when we share the gospel with others. When I read verse 16, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but they endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. They have no root. Now we understand that Christ is the root, not us. But we also must be aware That for many who are new to faith, they are counting on us. They are looking at how we live. And before they grow strong in the Lord, often they will rely upon us. And so we must be willing to feed them and hold their hand until they learn to feed themselves. When people are going through a tough time and we're nowhere to be, a, to be found, what message does that send? Now I fully understand theologically the grace of God and his power in not only saving us, but in keeping us. At the same time, the Bible is clear that we are to be salt and light. So that when people see us, they give glory to God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 2 and 3, You are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. That means we're called to be living epistles. And I can't help but think of how many times we fail other Christians. I think of a friend of mine recently divorced. I was talking to this person the other day. They're really going through a tough time. person has been in the church and in full-time ministry since getting saved as a teenager. I was talking to this person. I was trying to encourage them. And they shared with me that most of their Christian friends pretty much just abandoned them. And it left this person very wounded. Now this person still loves Jesus very much and made clear that they're not walking away from the Lord, but that they backed away from church. And I encourage and remind them not to let the actions of people affect their relationship with Jesus. Because it's Jesus that we ultimately worship and follow. At the same time, it's very hard to be vulnerable. 
vulnerable and to be an authentic part of a community of people who seem to cast you aside when you struggle. And so I can't help but ask, is it any wonder that so many people leave churches? I remember hearing a story about Francis Chan and and there was a gang member who had gotten saved and had gotten baptized and he began to to go to every event, you know, every time they had a prayer, every time they, they served, every time they did anything, he was there. You know, for months, this guy was at everything, just soaking it up like a sponge. And after about three, three to six months, Francis Chan, you know, he didn't see the guy anymore. And so he went and he talked to him and he said, you know, you were kind of on fire. You, you were plugged in and, and, you know, we haven't seen you. What happened? And he said, you know, I'm kind of new to this Christian thing. And he said, and, and, and I didn't really know how it was supposed to work. And he said, and you know, when, when I got jumped into my gang, they were my family. They were around me all the time through good and bad. And no matter what happened, they were there. And he goes, and I thought this was kind of supposed to be like that. And Francis Chan said, what's wrong with the church today? When people are learning about community from a gang member instead of the church. Ouch. You know, and again, I understand that God works through people, and I understand that it's only his grace alone. But I cannot imagine if when I was at my lowest, and I finally said to my church community, this is what's happening. You know, my life's blown up. I got a drug problem. I've had it for a few years now. It's a mess. I can't even hide it anymore. I'm not even going to pretend to hide it anymore. So, you know, I don't know what to tell you, but, like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I can't. I can't. And I can't imagine what would have happened if they would have been like, okay, well, you know, see you later. Because that's what I expected. That's what I thought was going to happen. And I don't know what I would have done. I don't know if I'd still be alive today. I certainly wouldn't be in the church today. And again, I understand how God works it all out. But the difference in my life was made tangible by the love of Christ's people who said, we're going to love you when you're really hard to love right now. We're going we're gonna to stick by you with this. And, and these weren't people that were like, oh, yeah, we've been through this report. These were people like, okay, we don't even know what this is. Like, like we don't even know how to help you, but we're going to find out how to help you because that's what, that's what we're supposed to do. Do you know what a difference that made in my life? Do you know when, when everybody would have looked and said, don't bet on him, there were people who said, we're going to love you unconditionally through this whole thing? You know, we focus so much on getting people to make an initial decision for Jesus, and then when they struggle, we abandon them. We say, we'll pray for you, and then we distance ourselves. And sometimes it's because we just don't know. We're not equipped, and we don't know what to do. But you know what? You can always sit near somebody. You can always cry with them. You can say, you know what? I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do, but I'm not going to leave. We talk a lot about around here about being and making disciples because they go hand in hand. A true disciple is a disciple maker. I want to read something on Facebook that I posted. It was originally written about an addict. And some of you saw that I posted it on Facebook. And I've said before, we're all addicts because we're all addicted to sin. And we're all in recovery from that sin. Amen? But I changed the wording a bit. You've heard a poetic license. I have preacher's license. That's even, even more privileged there. Seriously, though, I think this is a powerful example of what real life-on-life discipleship looks like. It says, a man fell in a hole and was hurt and was struggling, and he couldn't get out. 
And a businessman went by, and the man called out for help, and the businessman threw him some money and told him to buy himself a ladder. But the man could not buy a ladder in the hole he was in. And so a doctor walked by, and the man said, help me, I can't get out. And the doctor gave him some drugs, and he said, take this, it'll relieve your pain. And the man said, thank you, but when the pills ran out, he was still in the hole. And so a well-known psychiatrist rode by, and he heard the man's cries for help, and he stopped and he asked, how did you get here? Were you born here? Did your parents put you here? Tell me about yourself. This will alleviate your sense of loneliness. And so the man talked with him for an hour, and then the psychiatrist had to leave, but he said he'd come back next week, and the man thanked him, but he was still in the hole. And then a priest came by, and the man called for help, and the priest gave him a Bible and said, I'll say a prayer for you. And he got down on his knees, and he prayed for the man, and then he left, and the man was very grateful, and he read the Bible, but he was still stuck in the hole. And then a man who loved Jesus happened to be passing by, and the man cried out, hey, help me, I'm stuck in this hole. And right away, the Christian dumped down in the hole with him. And the man said, what are you doing now? We're both stuck here. But the Christian said, calm down. It's okay. I've been here before. And I know how to get out. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, so also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You see, as Christians, at times we will all struggle, but that struggle should never be alone. You know, I, I've said it this way, and I'm sure I picked this up somewhere, but if we're intentional and we need a good way to remember this, it's to be a Barnabas. Barnabas was an encourager. He was just one of those people. You have people in your life that just, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you're going through, they just kind of come alongside and encourage you. You know, they don't judge you. They don't put you down. Look, most of the time when people are going through stuff, even if it's self-inflicted, they know. They understand that. They're well aware. Be a Barnabas. Encourage. You know, sometimes that's your role. Just encourage. No strings attached. And pursue a Paul. So be a Barnabas. Pursue a Paul. Find somebody further along to mentor you. Find somebody that you can learn from. And, and you know, this is an ideal. I understand that, you know, sometimes that, you know, it seems hard to do this. But if you're intentional, if you're aware about it, if you're aware of it, you're going to try and do it. You're going to try to, you know, say, you know, I just want to encourage people today. And, and if you look at your existing relationships, sometimes this has already happened. And you look and you'll see, you know, this person's kind of like a Paul to me. And this person's kind of like a Barnabas to me. And then finally, train a Timothy. Find somebody that you can pour into. Because that's how discipleship works, right? It's not just make disciples. It's disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Jesus' church was 12 people. And we're here today as, you know, one of the millions and millions of Christians in the world. Be a Barnabas. Pursue a Paul. Train a Timothy. 
This is what it means to be a Christ follower. It means allowing the truth of the gospel to take root in your life and to change you from within. Because when your heart changes and you find your life and your identity in Christ, when you love God, as a result, you should have a love for others that shows. Because we can all say we love each other. We can all say that. But what are we doing about it? You know, like, like Pastor Jamie mentioned, you know, there's been so many times in my life where I had to have a conversation with somebody. And I realized that this was going to be a difficult conversation. And it, it's easier, you know, it, it's not love when you avoid telling somebody the truth because it'll make you uncomfortable. That's self-centeredness. It just looks like love. If you are more concerned with, uh, with you know, not, not feeling awkward and not making them feel awkward and so you leave them in a situation where some love and some truth would help, that's, that's, that's not love. That's not real love. It's very important that we're aware. And there's been so many times I've had to have a conversation and I've said, look, I love you. And, I, and, I, and I'm hoping that, that you know that by now. But if you don't, I would rather tell you the truth and have you not like me than lie to you and have you love me. And that's not easy to do. And there's risk involved. But if not, you're just pretending. You're just playing. You know, I've spent most of my life pretending I was somebody I wasn't. I don't want to do that anymore. To know Jesus is to love him. To love him is to obey him. And to obey him is to share his message. If you've been rescued, if you've been set free, if you understand what it's like to be at that point where you're like, I'm done, I'm just done, I can't do it. You know, I, and I, again, I've said this a whole bunch of times in my preaching, but we don't surrender to be done, we surrender to begin. You know, people get to the point, they're like, I'm done, that's it, I'm all done, I surrender, I give up, it's over. And God's going, I've been trying to get you to do that for, you know, most of your life. Finally, okay, now you're at the ground. Now we can build from here. It's not the end. When you get to the end of you, that's not the end. That's what God's trying to get you. So he can say, okay, I love you. You know, that feeling that, that, that Ben Affleck had that think it's, you know, everybody thinks it's just them. Everybody thinks, you know, well, it's, this is just how I feel. But no, it's a universal human condition. And I will promise you, as sure as I'm standing here, that if Jesus isn't ultimately what you love and worship, something else is. And that something will destroy you. It'll never satisfy. It can always be taken away. No matter what you have, any relationship, any amount of wealth, any prestige can be gone in a moment. But your relationship with Jesus will last for eternity. And so put your faith in that. And ask the worship team to come up. And I'm going to ask the same question that I began with. Can you hear? Can you hear? Just bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, we thank you for this body of believers, God, for this local community of faith. We thank you for what you've done, God, 
for the vulnerability, for the transparency, for the authentic, Christ-centered, spirit-led community. Father, you know what each of us walked in here with. You know the condition of our hearts. You know our struggles and our difficulties. And Father, you desire to meet us right where we are. Jesus' invitation, Jesus' discipleship, Jesus following Jesus is, is a series of invitations. It's, it's follow me. It's come to me, you who are weary. It's abide in me. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will use you, your experiences, your life, even your difficulties, even your struggles to help you minister to others who are desperately in need of me. And so, Father, I pray now we take the next minute, we just sit in silence, God, and that we do business with you, God. Search our hearts, Lord. Bring to to our attention those areas that we need to submit and surrender to you, God. We know that we've heard hundreds of sermons, but have we really heard? What are the distractions? What are the things that are robbing us of the joy that you promise. Father, help us to take this time 